0: Hi everyone, this is Andrew Davies from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers. Today we are joined by Davide boyido and Antoine Bergel. Davide is a tenured researcher at Neurospin, and Antoine is a postdoctoral fellow at the Neuro and McGill University. They recently presented their work combining functional ultrasound with other techniques, including MRI and electrophysiology, to study neurovascular coupling across vigilance states. Let's dive in. Our first question here, just out of curiosity, David, you mentioned that the choice of the olfactory bulb was unfair for, for bold fMRI. Maybe you could just elaborate on that a bit to kick things off.
1: Yeah, I know. It's just because it's, uh, it's both, it's olfactory bulb and mice. So it's a very, very tiny volume. We are talking about, uh, two millimeter square for imaging. And so it's really, it's really super, uh, uh, tricky to, to make a shim properly, in particular if you are working with a ultra high magnetic field. And moreover, also the, the, the PMP or TPX, whatever you want to call it, cover that is uh, suitable for functional ultrasound, although it does not show any, Artifact for, for both fMRI, it breaks the homogeneity all over the, the, the olfactory bulb. And so it makes uh, the shimming even trickier if it's possible. So, if you use, for instance, the same cover in the neocortex, over the neocortex, you can uh, shim uh, fairly well, pretty much the same way you would shim in a naive mouse with no craniotomy, no cover. But the olfactory bulbs were really, really tough. And that's why we couldn't manage to, to go as fast as uh, we wished with both
0: of MRI. Okay, great. So basically, it's very, yeah. <laughs> very technically challenging, ultimately.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really technically demanding, yes.
0: Okay, uh, wonderful. Um, we've had a number of questions related to interaction between the FUS and the electrophysiological signal, Antoine. So perhaps you can, can expand on that. Do the two interfere with one another in any way? How the, the FUS recording may affect the EPHYS and vice versa?
2: Yeah, so it's a a good question, and uh, actually it's something that we cannot completely rule out. We are sending ultrasonic waves. There are biological processes at stake here, and ultrasound waves actually do modulate brain activity. So far, when the electrophysiology is properly grounded, we don't see any difference visually. And it was also important to do that approach where we would have both the probe and the electrodes on the same plane and other recordings when we don't have that and we don't see any change in the electrophysiology signal. The second thing to keep in mind is that uh, we are mostly using planar waves, right? So with focused waves, you can definitely change the, the pressure, perhaps even trigger electric activity. Here, I don't think that occurs. And we, when the animal is not grounded, you actually see the ultrasonic uh, bursts. So, if things are done properly, I would not worry too much about the two uh, interfering.
0: Great. Okay, that's, that's fantastic. Question again for you, Davide. In previous papers, for example, on fMRI, many showed that the relationship between stimulus strength and the bold response is highly nonlinear. Instead, you found a, a linear relationship. Can you comment on
1: that? Yeah, in fact, that's a good question because there is a quite bad habit, to my point of view, in neuroimaging to consider pretty much a stimulation pattern, the same as the neuronal activation pattern. And this can be acceptable in a first approximation if you are dealing with uh, something which, for instance, with a slow temporal resolution. But if you can uh, sample fast, and if you are in a condition in which, for instance, in our case, the neurovascular coupling is fast, as we found then you can no longer uh, make this assumption. And so in our case, we demonstrated that the nonlinearity was completely made by the neuronal encoding. So if I had to plot the stimulation strength in terms of a boxcar function versus the neuronal responses, I would have found a logarithmic relationship. What is actually linear is the neurovascular coupling that I recall. It's not the relationship between the stimulus and the vascular response. It's the relationship between the neuronal and the vascular response. So that is the, the tricky point. So we should really pay attention to that. So the good news are the neurovascular coupling is linear, at least in our condition, in many other conditions that we could test it in our paper. But please don't take the just the boxcar to rule out information about, you know, the linearity of, of the brain.
0: Okay, fantastic. Another question for you here, Antoine. Great talks. uh, Agreed. Uh, Would you care to speculate about the relationship between hemodynamics and gamma? You mentioned that gamma could be causal, but how might one test that? And lastly, theta also couples with hemodynamics, but is less dynamic?
2: That's a good question. So I might have gone a bit too far saying that it was causal because I haven't proven it. We see correlations. We also see a delay, and we see that the gamma activity precedes the vascular events. It's not only me uh, who's related uh, gamma activity to blood flow, there's been several papers about it. When you try to explain, it was mostly done with bold fMRI, so when you try to explain the variants that you see in bold fMRI studies, the best regressor is, most, is mainly the gamma activity. Now it's different bands depending on the species, it's not exactly the same processes. But to me, so far from my understanding, I would go towards the role of uh, inhibition and interneurons in the brain because they are super involved uh, in, uh, in these gamma cycles and these gamma oscillations. And they, uh, most of these neurons are known to uh, influence neurovascular coupling. So the next step, I guess, is to try to investigate this uh, causal relationship and maybe block gamma and see uh, the, the effect on uh, the vascular surges.
0: Fantastic. Maybe either of you or, or both can answer this question. There's a, we've had a number of questions related to the resolution, spatial and temporal resolution that's achievable. And this one specifically asks, is it possible to obtain resolution at the level of blood vessels in the choroid plexus?
2: <laughs> mm. I would say yes, but uh, I, I, I'm not an expert. I, I see where this comes from, and uh, this is a very important uh, subject. The link with uh, cerebrospinal fluids and uh, what we see is uh, obviously an important question. If the vessels are not too small and they are the size of roughly what you can find in the normal vascular uh, and brain structures, I don't see why we would not not be able to see them. We can also investigate uh, movement of bigger structures and especially the movement of corridor which is something also currently under investigation. So I don't see any reason not to see them if they're not too small.
1: And if I can complete, there is also this new you know, high resolution functional ultrasound that has been just presented, introduced last year by the group of Michael Tanter. So probably with that approach, we uh, will get uh, chances to look at what you want to look at.
0: <laughs> okay, excellent. Another question here for Antoine: Is it possible to use standard silicon probes, such as uh, Cambridge Neurotech Buzaki probes, NeuroPixels, in combination with functional ultrasound?
2: A quick answer: Yes, definitely.
0: Okay, fantastic. And, and maybe along those lines as well: What is the what is the biggest obstacle to safeguard the implants' integrity for extended periods of time? So
2: maybe no, weeks. That's, That's also uh, an important question, but it's trickier and it's something that uh, everybody in behavioral neuroscience would struggle with. We're actually discussing that with David just before the webinar started. So I would say uh, one important stuff is, of course, handling and having the animals not being too stressed and removing whatever that's in the cage that could uh, cause trouble to uh, the safety of the implant. Now, it's really also about the design. If you have anything that's too bulky, you increase the chances that the animal would actually scratch the head or just bump it to things and exert the mechanical stress on the implant. So I think the design is important. The fact that the animals are well and, and do not feel that they want to scratch themselves too much will definitely increase and you, you, you're able to, you'll be able to keep your animals for way longer than uh, if they're stressed. So it's something that's definitely a bit overlooked in neuroscience because it takes, it requires time, but it's definitely worth investing the time to do this.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Another question here, we've had a number of questions about the craniotomy. Does the craniotomy affect the intrinsic brain activities? Is it possible some unexpected changes in brain activity could be attributed to the to craniotomy and associated inflammation, I guess? And I'll also expand that to, There's a, we've had some questions about whether or not it's it's possible to do this through the skull, with an intact the skull. So perhaps either or both of you could elaborate on that as well.
1: No argue. The craniotomy is a, an invasive approach. So for sure, uh, we are not dealing with a, a brain which is completely preserved. But on another point of view, it's also, I mean, it's the two things. We do the craniotomy and we use these covers in order to, to run experiments over time. So we we give the mouse or the rat enough time to recover, not only from the surgery, but also to from any kind of you know manipulation that we can do over the brain. And another advantage that uh, can be feasible with discovery is that they're easy to bend. And so we can really follow the curvature of the brain without, you know, changing the, the shape. Then, of course, you can deal with uh, troubles in temperature. We also made a paper on the temperature, not with functional ultrasound, with two photomicroscopy in Search arpac lab. It's Morgan Roche uh, et al. in uh, E-Life 2020, I think, 2019, something like that. But still, apparently the, ba- the brain uh, showed to be quite resilient to these changes, if uh, if you are looking at the brain uh, after enough time to give it time to recover, and through the through the skull instead, uh, I think you have to refer to the papers by Sophie Pezet, who did a, a very nice uh, imaging through the skull. If I correctly remember, it's completely feasible in mice. In rats, uh, it's okay for the new cortex starts to be a little bit less performant with respect to a craniotomy in the thalamus. So if, you're, if you are willing to go deep. And then it's another question about, you know, the, the reliability over the time. This is something that with a craniotomy, you can just look through and see how the brain looks like. Without a craniotomy, you are not sure. I mean, I wouldn't be sure about, you know, but I'm talking about very large time intervals. So months so from mice young to adults. Fantastic. experience.
2: Did you want to add anything to that, Antoine? Uh, it was a very complete answer, just to mention that, of course, the the skull of rats here uh, is uh, very thick compared to the one of mice. So you might be tempted by only thinning the skull, but then is there's a trade-off in the, the, the wind, temporal window uh, that you'll get good signals. So we... I'm a big defender of this uh, craniotomy approach because we invested a lot in uh, improving them. And so far, when we also try to check for inflammation, we don't see obvious markers of inflammation for extended periods of time. So... Sure, there's also the problem of temperature that Davide mentioned, which is uh, definitely something that could modulate brain activity. We are not the only ones doing this kind of chronotomy. Maybe we do definitely bigger ones, but uh, we are not the only ones to do this. And it's been a- investigated elsewhere. So I will not be too worried, but it's important to keep in mind. You also have the visual inspection, and sometimes you see that the tissue is uh, basically... You want the, the 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 brain's starting regrowth of the different tissue, and you have something akin to scale that's that's developing beneath the, imp- the implant. That's uh, more or less it sums up uh, the issues with craniotomy, I think.
0: Okay, that's fantastic. Great answers. There's one question here about connectivity changes when the animals are anesthetized. I guess typically that more data has historically been available on the anesthetized animal than in the awake. So perhaps this question is related to the validity of data collected from animals with, who are anesthetized. But perhaps you can you can comment on that as well.
2: Anesthesia is a very strong modulator in brain activity, and it's most of the time it masks many. Uh, for instance, when we do sleep studies, it's 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 two complete different states. So we are. Actually, looking for a technique where we can not use uh, anesthesia and we can actually compare in the few of the recordings that I used to compare. We definitely do not have the same correlations, do not have the same baseline, and we see the time that we need to wait to have a, a signal going to baseline either after the animal woke up from anesthesia.
0: Okay, fantastic. Is it possible to combine the FUS with miniscope or optogenetic stimulation approaches? Perhaps you can add something to that.
2: Yes. Yes, yes. And uh, optogenetics, it's been done already. There's a paper pl- published in Europe in 2021. Arnaud Saint-Dublan is the first author of that uh, study. And yeah, with Miniscope, uh, nothing prevents. Miniscope can be a bit bulky, so it would be two probes. But on the, the two different sides of the brain in, rad- in rats, I think it's definitely feasible. yes.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.